Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Daniel Curry, CEO of Pactum. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is also sponsored by CheapTranscription.io. Cheap Transcription offers 10 cent per minute transcriptions using our happy robots or 85 cents per minute using our human assistants. CheapTranscription.io is cheaper and faster than everyone else. CheapTranscription.io. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Daniel Kari. He's CEO of Pactum. It's an uh, investment firm and hedge fund out in uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, welcome to the show, Daniel. Uh, thanks for having me, John. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what you've been working on. Um, obviously, one of the issues that I've been having with uh, with this show and talking about optimistic uh, views of crypto uh, cryptocurrencies and uh and blockchain is that not very many people have optimistic views. Uh, so maybe we can change that today. What's the, uh, what's, what's, what have you been working on right now? So to be clear, our firm is a market neutral uh, investment firm. So we are really focused on trading in the cryptocurrency markets. We mostly focus on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. We do, we do a little bit of Ethereum as well. Um, and I am optimistic about it. I've been in this industry full time for almost five years, and so I've seen a lot. In the short to medium term, we have some issues, obviously, from a system system. There's just like some systematic and infrastructure issues that I think that need to be cleared up. But long term, I do think that we are dealing with something here that is really fascinating in terms of programmable money and programmable store of value. Mm -hmm. and what does that mean to uh, what does that mean to the average person? Uh, why would I need programmable money? I think for the average person, they are going to really have a taste of cryptocurrency over time. It's just that the interfaces and the technology isn't quite there yet. I would say we're still in, and this is repeated by a lot of people, but I will say it as well, is that we're still in this sort of dial-up period of cryptocurrencies where you really have to onboard to the ecosystem, and it's not easy. And I think that there is going to be some technology that's going to make it easier. One of the biggest problems in cryptocurrency is things like identity, uh, dealing with wallets, uh, key management or custody issues is what they call it in the financial industry. All of this stuff is being worked on and is being cleaned up. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we are seeing some promising things that are happening um, to make it easier. I think one of the things that is going to make it easier is that and I, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me about this, but more cryptocurrencies that are actually user friendly versus Bitcoin, because Bitcoin has sort of developed into this store of value, digital gold uh, paradigm, where I think we're going to see more flexible cryptocurrencies, easier to use cryptocurrencies um, that are more used as money or as payment mechanisms over time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um... So what does that what does that look like uh, for us? Will that will 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 there ever be a situation where I have to think about uh, a crypto versus a credit card? I think someday we will have uh, we'll have something that will look like that. One of the things that's happening is that we're seeing bigger companies really start to look at this, in particular Facebook, and you know say what you will about Facebook. I mean, I have my own uh, private see transgressions with them, but them coming in and doing something like a stable cryptocurrency across their messaging apps or 
whatever it is that they plan to do, it seems like it's going to be something big. And for them to come in and even try to experiment with this is really promising. And to have that delineated between credit cards and crypto, I think that's hard to do because of the big, the big thing that is the difference between those two payment mechanisms is that with credit cards, uh, if I have an issue, if I spend something on a credit card um, and I want that money back for whatever reason, whether the money spent was uh, it was fraud related or, or something of that nature, I, I can call my credit card company and get that money back and, and go through a process to do that. With cryptocurrency, there isn't a very good system for that right now. It wasn't really designed for that. Mm-hmm. You, you spend that money and it's gone. And that's one of the reasons why there are a lot of scams and hacks in this industry. And it's like a honeypot for anybody who wants to do fraud because once they get that private key or once you spend that money, it's gone. It's not coming back. And um, we've seen this even like, you know, just in the last 24 hours where Binance, the exchange got hacked and, and this discussion all of a sudden happened. Oh, let's roll back uh, the Bitcoin blockchain and get our $40 million that was hacked back, which is not something that's going to happen. There's been a lot of bigger hacks in this industry. And, and the notion of that uh, has just really fired up a lengthy Twitter debate um, of, of kind of the nuances of doing something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's actually kind of an interesting idea, like the idea that um... – the idea that you could roll that back. I mean, I guess the I guess the situation. If I give you a uh, hundred thousand dollars in cash, uh, I have some recourse, right? I have some recourse because we might have written, we might have signed a contract together uh, that's enforceable in a court of law, etc. Uh, but in this case, there is no real contract per se. It's basically just a movement of movement of value. Uh, does the does do governments and regulatory bodies come in and and uh, and start helping us with this, or is it catches catch can or is it all everyone for themselves? Well, I think that governments, regulators, law enforcement, so on and so forth, they're very interested in this technology. Um, it certainly generates jobs in that sector um, because of all these new things that are happening. But I will say the wheels of justice move slowly. Government moves slowly. Uh, they are they are making moves, but it's a slow moving process, and and I don't expect there to be a, a total framework for any of this from a legal standpoint for a long time. One of the things that really has to happen is there has to be a lot of court cases. There has to be a lot of precedent put in place, and it seems like it, oftentimes with these things, law enforcement leads the way. And they're the ones that go after the folks that are perpetrating the the innovations of the fraud in the industry, and then the regulators have to come in and and be reactionary to that. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, the Heartland. I mean, I noticed that you're you went to Michigan State, and now you're in San Francisco. One of the things that we try to touch on is is what happens to places like Michigan. Uh, why did you go to San Francisco from, uh, from Michigan? Why didn't you run your crypto business from out of, uh, from out of your dorm room, I guess? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. So to start with, uh, I was in Michigan back when the economy was really bad. (laughs) And so it was very hard to find a job. Is there any other time when you can be in Michigan? I think, uh, yeah, right now, actually, ironically, the economy in Detroit is doing great now. But when I was in school, 
and this was a very long time ago, this was over a decade ago, uh, studying computer science, um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. I had an internship uh, in Detroit uh, programming for like some marketing company. Had They had big contracts with the auto, auto industry. And, um, but the economy wasn't great. And so I actually decided to go to China for a year and I worked on a startup there, which was great. And I learned a lot more than I would have ever learned, uh, at a startup in Michigan or starting my own thing in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, I came back and then the economy was a little bit better. And so I went and worked in it security in Michigan uh, at an energy utility. And I learned a ton about just computers and securing things. And it's been very helpful for this company, what I'm running now, uh, to learn all that stuff. And I actually became a contractor for Google doing consulting in Washington, D.C., doing security stuff. And that was around the time of the Edward Snowden uh, revelations. And I sort of got uh, my interest in working in the security apparatus and for the government and contracting for government entities I lost interest in that, and that's around the time I got interested in cryptocurrencies. So that was March, April of 2013. Bitcoin hit $100 for the first time, mm-hmm. and I saw on TechCrunch about a new website called Coindesk that was going live about cryptocurrencies, and I was like, well, I have a technology background. I've, I've done some writing in the past. I, I'd done some blogging, and I had some contracts with IBM and HP to do some writing. So I reached out to them, and they said uh, – yeah, start writing. And I started writing for them in DC and uh, eventually moved to the West Coast and was covering Bitcoin startups for them for a couple of years. That was like mm-hmm. when when VCs first started investing in, in Bitcoin startups, uh, folks like Adam Draper and Andreessen started putting money into Bitcoin startups. I was sort of covering that. And then 2015, I decided to go off on my own and just do the entrepreneurial thing in crypto because I felt like I knew enough I had I had already had two years of full time experience in cryptocurrency, so that was pretty unique at the time. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I think what's the um, but none of that could have happened if you had stayed in Michigan, right? And I don't I don't want to I don't want to pick on Michigan, but I mean, I'm just uh, the, the the question is how do how does a guy like you who is who with uh, computer science skills how do you how does the, the the that geographic location or any geographic location whenever you're talking about it uh maintain um decide to stay in in a, in a place that may or may not support them in that on that front i mean if i could give anybody advice your opportunity is very much geographic and it's less about the actual place because i have my own misgivings about the bay area and san francisco in general but it's the people when I came out here and I started going to Bitcoin meetups and then eventually there was Ethereum meetups and <clears throat> all the people that work at my company now, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've, we've got, uh, we've got about four full time people here. They are all people that I met here in the Bay area mm-hmm. and I've known them for years. And, uh, if I go to New York or if I go to Puerto Rico or if I go to Michigan, I'm going to have a really hard time finding cryptocurrency engineers. So if you want to hire cryptocurrency engineers, this is the best place to do it. And it's mm-hmm. still like I'm still going to meetups and giving out my card because we're going to hire more cryptocurrency engineers because we we have technology that allows us to do what we do. Um, and we need more engineers. And we don't just need engineers. We need engineers that are like into cryptocurrency. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and they have to be like the kind of people that, you know, they want to read Coindesk. They want to set up their own wallets. You know, they want to do this stuff in their spare time. Those are the kind of people I'm talking about when I'm referring to a cryptocurrency engineer. Mm-hmm. They want to they they try to really decipher if Craig Wright's a scam or not. Yeah. That's, those are the kind of people that I, that I want on my team. But what's, what's, missing in, what's missing in Michigan that you wouldn't be able to find that? It's just if you're a cryptocurrency engineer there, you're an island of one. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're angling to move somewhere where the hotspots are. I mean, I've read Steve Case's Rise of the Rest and all that and like, let's create a Silicon Valley somewhere else. And I just haven't seen it. I really haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm, I'm not going to say that uh, Silicon Valley is roses and butterflies because it's very expensive to live here. There's a big wealth gap. It's got its own problems. But mm-hmm. um, if you really want to do something like what I'm trying to do, I mean, I met my co-founder here, our first engineer hire. I, I met at a meetup in 2014. Um, the guy who, who's working on architecting all of our systems I met, uh, he went through Y Combinator in 2014. Um, the designer we have, I met, you know, he was working on an exchange. So it, it all really happened here. All the personnel that we have is here. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's important. To, that's important to think about. I don't think a lot of people do, but it's, it's, I think, it, I'm sure it's frustrating um, especially if you're, if you're still stuck in Michigan and you're basically trying to build out an accelerator network or whatever. And, and, um, and just the people aren't there, right? Yeah. You know, I lived in Ann Arbor where university of Michigan Mm -hmm. is, and they, they do have an accelerator that's funded by the university there, but it's still, startups are really hard. And so you need every advantage that you can get, no matter how you can get it. I'm not saying go and cheat or lie or anything like that, but any legal means that you can do to, to get yourself in the best position to succeed is going to help you because it's going to be hard enough no matter what. So so take advantage of everything that you can. Um, you know, I've got friends. I, I get asked to, to advise new startups all the time. I got people out here. They're like, I just came here. You know, I'm living on a bus. Uh, I got 100 bucks, but, you know, I'm here. And that's the most important thing. And, you know, maybe I'll have to struggle for a couple of years. Uh, but but it'll be worth it. And for me, you know, five years ago when I came out here, it was the same. And it just takes a long time and you just got to persevere. Um, but, you know, we, we do well now. And, and I think some of the reasons are because of my early struggles out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if you but if you went back to Michigan right now and you told you said all that stuff, they would basically be uh, they would be angry at you because they want to they want to think that there's the opportunity is there. And, and I want to think the opportunity is there as well. Obviously, I'm from Ohio originally. Um, but it just doesn't seem like, uh, it just doesn't seem like that's the sort of thing that you're talking about, which is quite literally uh, almost 99% luck, uh, and geographic and geographic, uh, preference is what made you successful versus, versus staying back home, uh, wherever you were in Ann Arbor and, uh, and getting frustrated. Um, yeah. So I, I, I mean, what, what can, what would you recommend an Ann Arbor produce? What do they need to produce? Do they need to produce more guys like you with a with a with a um, mindset on leaving the city and then maybe sending some cash back occasionally if they uh, if you make it big that kind of thing? That's what would be ideal, and I know that there are folks that do that with their hometowns. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how effective that is, though. I'm not sure. 
And again, like I know, again, it, Steve Case, the AOL founder, he's the one that is doing this like rise of the rest, yeah. uh, trying trying to invest in these different spots. Some of that I think is just as him as a VC. When you when you think differently or invest differently, sometimes you're at an advantage there. The only thing is that a lot of these locales are so isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their startup culture is not not what you would think it would be. Uh, you know, I, I just came back from Manila about a month and a half ago, and you know, they had like a startup incubator there, and they had like a WeWork and and all these things and meetups, but. It still didn't feel like the same energy or culture and the fostering of openness in particular that California is just known for. Um, and again, like there there are drawbacks to this. I would never like advocate, you know, one of the things is that just California in general is just so expensive. It's tax regime and um, even like fuel prices and things like that are just it's so exorbitantly expensive here. But but if you really want to if you're a good programmer. And you really want to be entrepreneurial? I do think you need to just at least get a taste of this out here. I mean, that's 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 one thing I would certainly advocate for. All right, very cool. All right, uh, what what does the world look like uh, in ten years? Well, in ten years, I'm pretty sure us humans are going to be replaced by drones mm-hmm. that will be paying for everything with Bitcoin, and uh, we'll probably be just you know traveling. These drones will probably be traveling through hyperloops and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we we wanted to talk about the future here, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, instead we got all uh, we got all cranky about uh, the Midwest. Yeah, well, that's okay. I don't mind that. <laughs> I, I will say the future the future is never what we really we really think it's going to be. Like I, VR is a great example of this. Is like the last couple of years we all thought that VR was going to become this huge thing, but I was one of the early people to try this new iteration mm-hmm. of, of Oculus and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, the technology is still not there. I mean, I'm not going to walk around with this, like, you know, this hockey mask of a like device mm-hmm. and, and watch NBA games. I'm just, I'm not going to do that. So, uh, we may need to see like another third generation of that where the technology is like a foldable screen that comes out and doesn't like destroy my neck. And, and so, I think the future is going to look somewhat like the past, but we're going to have more advanced things to be able to use. Uh, and, and VR is a great example of that, where I don't think the hardware is there. Um, I think you know cryptocurrency is, is kind of in that same boat where uh, we just don't have the right software and maybe even hardware um, to make it as good as it could be. It, things like Apple Pay, where you don't even need your card anymore and everything is cryptographically secure. Uh, some of that should be married to crypto, and I think we're going to see bigger companies in the, the Facebook example, uh, or Apple, or you know Amazon, Google. They're just kind of sitting back and trying to figure out this whole regulatory thing because, like they, they've got huge burdens on them from a legal perspective to try to jump into this just out of nowhere. And then, how do you protect the user and so on and so forth? All right, very cool. All right. So what? Uh, so what are you working on now? Is there a, a, a something interesting that you're uh, that you're looking at in terms of uh, investment or or uh, funding? So we focus primarily on trading cryptocurrencies. We we mostly trade Bitcoin and and its derivatives. So we trade like Bitcoin futures on CME. Uh, one of the things that we're working on right now is that the trading engine that we've been using 
to execute a lot of these trades. We're going to open source it. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to announce that fairly soon. Um, we're pretty excited about trying to give some technology back to the community because one of the things that's really lacking in this market is, is the proper infrastructure. And I think there's like a lot of exchange market manipulation that happens. And so one of the things that we want to do is open source our trading engine, uh, throw that on GitHub and have people using that on, on some good exchanges. Because one of the things that we're really cautious about is that we only use really good exchanges, for example, like Coinbase, Bitstamp, uh, ItBit, folks like that, mm -hmm. because we, we feel like those are like the right regulated exchanges um, that, you know, when there are issues like what we're seeing with like Bitfinex and Tether, or our hope is that people are going to move over to these exchanges that are a little bit more legitimate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. All right, very cool. All right, Daniel, thank you for joining us on uh, on Technotopia. This has been a uh, this has been a wide ranging and uh, slightly grumpy, but I think we I think we're I think we're okay. Conversation is what, was that not optimistic? <laughs> well, the problem with being optimistic all the time is that it gets boring. So I like to add a little bit of uh, I like to add a little bit of uh, energy to it. And then we're just going to make all kinds of friends back in Ann Arbor again, so it's going to be good. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for your time. All right. We'll talk to you soon. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. Thanks for listening. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com